So, we just had Thanksgiving. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Oh, I've got to send the kids. Kids, stand up. <laughs> I was going to make you sit in here and listen to me forever. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that you would bless our kids. Thank you for them. Pray that you would anoint this time, that you would be with them, that you would be blessing their teachers. Make this a wonderful and joyous time for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, you can head. <laughs> so, yeah, we just had Thanksgiving. And, uh, and I have a, a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for. Um, you know, spending time with family that I haven't seen in a while. Um, getting to share m meals. I think I had like three Thanksgivings in the last three days. So getting to share meals with friends and family, encourage each other, bless each other. And, uh, and as I was prepping for this kind of, we're, we're, we're moving from this Thanksgiving season into the Advent season or the looking forward to the birth of Jesus or looking back to the birth of Jesus and forward to the promises that that birth represents. I was thinking this week about how crucial Thanksgiving is in all of it, in all of it as believers, how incredibly crucial being thankful is. I went to a uh, leadership conference some number of years ago, and, and, and one of the, probably the only thing I really took away from the thing, so, you know, whatever, hopefully it was, I didn't miss anything else good, but, <laughs> but was, uh, was, was the importance of prayer, but really also the importance of thanksgiving, and, and one of the, uh, the aspects of prayer being, being thankful, giving glory to God in the good things and in the bad things, because his sovereign will is good. We know that, right? We do. Which is a uniqueness to Christianity. For many of, many of the people we know as they walk through life, when things are going good, they can pat themselves on the back and say, I've done good, right? Good job, me. Boy, I'm living. But when things are going bad, where do they turn to? I think oftentimes it feels kind of hopeless, wouldn't you say? It feels kind of hopeless. It feels like, you know, you, you're going to react in some way. If you don't have some structure to keep you stable in hard seasons, then, then you're going to be spinning around trying to figure out how you can fix it. What you've done wrong. It comes with an incredible amount of baggage of shame and guilt to living Poorly, because obviously something you did, just like something you did got you up on the mountain peak, something you did got you into the valley, right? Something Christianity offers to us, to the world, that I don't think any other thing offers is an availability to be weak. We can be weak. We can be not good enough because we have a God who is good enough who is strong enough. And so instead of being destroyed 
by seasons of sorrow, disappointment, grief, we can find hope in the promises that he is good, right? And we don't have to count on ourselves, our own strength to get out of it. The more I thought about this, the more I, you know, well, one thing came to mind. I was thinking about the, the I think it's a kid's song that's like, uh, we are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah. I thought about that a little bit. But I also thought about this, uh, the, the concept of like being weak, being vulnerable, and the fact that if you didn't have Jesus to hold on to and be like, he is strong, that that would feel incredibly hopeless, right? And I think that that can be, I think we're talking about hope today and I think hopelessness is a common state of being human, (laughs) you know, just across the board. But we have a hope that's unshaking, yeah? You hope so. Someone said that, I agree. I hope so. I hope we do too. That gets into a few different things, but it gets into the root of what we're gonna talk about today, which is hope. About 10 years ago, I think, 10, 12 years ago, I was writing a song about the character of God. Uh, We've sung it here a few times, and uh, the chorus goes, the heartbeat of love, the essence of peace, fullness of joy, you are majesty. The soft touch of grace, the patience to wait. And as I was writing this song, I I was like, the other characteristic I wanted to get in there was hope. And I was thinking about hope and I was like, man, how, what is a, what's a catchy thing I can say about hope? (laughs) So I called my mom. I was driving to Potsdam for some reason. That I can't remember, but I do remember I was in the the car and I called my mother And God bless her, she brings loads of wisdom into every situation. I asked her, Mom, what's a a, a describing word of hope? And she said, anchor. Stuh. (laughs) And uh, she didn't say it like that. She's she's sticking her tongue out at me now. Uh, No, but she said, anchor. And I, I, I heard it. It sounded good. And I put it in the song, my anchor of hope. What's that mean? You know, I thought about what it meant a little bit. I knew it was true. But I wasn't probably 100% sure what that means. And, and so in this last week, I've been thinking a lot of what it means for God to be our anchor of hope. Usually when I think of an anchor, I think of something that's holding me back. That's not the case. I don't have a focused text for today. But I've got a lot of little texts that we're going to look at. So before we dig in, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for hope. Lord, I just pray that you would be working in us. You would be stirring in us a security that goes beyond understanding, a confidence, an assurance in the good things that are, the good things that will were, and the good things that will be. And Lord, as we look at the good things that will be, I pray that you would 
fix our eyes on that and that we would move forward, not for our glory, but your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what is hope? I was chatting. I mean, I've had a lot of these conversations. I was chatting with my friend Tony as I was driving her up. Before that, we had a conversation in our small group during the James series. If you missed out on small groups, there's going to be another chance, by the way, in February. What a great time to encourage and build each other up. Um, During one of those small groups, we were talking about the fact that when we're in church, there's a lot of language that gets used that we don't really use anywhere else. You know, if you, if you went up to somebody who didn't know anything about Christianity and said, the body of Christ, man, it's the body. And they're like, the body of what? What body? His body? You mean like the body of the person, Jesus? I don't know, right? And I think similarly, different um, Definitions have been prescribed to a lot of the words that we continue to use today. The biblical understanding of what a word means is a bit different than the way it gets used on a day-to-day basis. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about hope and hopefully provide, hopefully, (laughs) there's a use that's a little different. Hopefully provide some clarity. And just as I use that word, that isn't the type of hope we're talking about today. And when we talk hope, oftentimes we refer to it like wishful thinking. I hope it doesn't rain, right? I hope it doesn't, we don't have a snowstorm. I hope that snowstorm we had a few weeks ago doesn't leave us isolated in our home for three days. Well, surprise, it didn't. I hope I do well on my exam. I hope that I get that job that I interviewed for. Now, there's different variants of that. Some of those you can prepare for. Some of those you can actually put effort into to increase the prospects of your hopes being fulfilled. Unlike the weather, which we have no control over. Um, But this idea of hope being wishful thinking is not the type of hope that we're talking about today. I think in secular terms, I would define it like this. It would be, hope would be where we find our sense of security in the future. Where we find our sense of security in the future. And certainly this isn't exclusive to Christians. We have hope. Everybody has hope. They're putting their hope in something. And for many Christians, we're putting our hope in the wrong things. And that's what we're going to dive into in more depth today. As Christians, hope looks very different. It is a confidence in God's promises in regards to our future. Hope is a confidence in regards to the promises of God for our future. Romans 8:28 says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. Let's read that again. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him 
who have been called according to his purposes. As I think about this, I think that maybe a good way to define hope, we talk a lot about faith and salvation through faith, right? I would argue that hope is the faith of what's to come. Hope is the faith of what's to come. Trusting God with our futures. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says this. In this hope, we are saved. Interesting, right there. Similar language as Paul uses to describe our faith. In this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if hope for what we do not see, but, sorry, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's a security, a trusting, an understanding of what is to come. Right? And we wait for it patiently. If our future is not secured and satisfied by God, then we're going to be excessively anxious people. Right? Because there's a, there's a lot of things as we look forward that are uncertain. Is next year going to be a good farming year for Ben? Who knows? I don't know. Ben certainly doesn't know. Is he going to be out there hustling and bustling all year long? Or is the way just going to be paved and think streets of gold? Who knows? You know, that's for next year. We're going to figure that out. We're going to walk through that. But if you, you, could, you could put a lot of energy into to stressing over what the future holds. And the benefit of being a believer is that we can be secured and satisfied in a future that is good. Amen? Okay. If we aren't, this can result in fear or self-managed control, which results in us thinking a whole lot about ourselves, our future, our problems, and our potential. If our minds are focused on this, it keeps us from being free to truly love. Because so we're so tied up in us, in me, 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 my situation, my circumstances, my problems, my potential. I've said this several times in the last few weeks. It talks about in Romans that we are his workmanship. He designed us. He built us. He made us. For what? To do good works. That he's laid out for us. He already knows. He's made us with a purpose. We don't have to wrestle with our potential. Our potential is in Jesus. Our potential is in Jesus, which gives us incredible potential. Earth-shaking potential. More potential than any single human can have is had in Jesus. When our security is in God for the outcomes of life, we are able to embrace an incomprehensible joy and peace beyond circumstance because God is the God of our outcomes. It also means we can be amazingly satisfied. This is a tangent moment for me. I'm just hitting this on the fly. 
Because we tend to look at, you know, this is something that's been coming up for me again and again as I've been listening to sermons, as I've been watching people walking out their faith. We often look to the superheroes of Scripture, right? Moses's, Elijah's, and others, and fix our eyes on that. Those are the things God's put in front of me as well. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Maybe not. And I would say if your eyes are fixed on becoming Paul or Barnabas, Peter, Elijah, Moses, that's idolatry. We're to fix our eyes on one thing, yeah? Christ. And he's got a work for us to do. And it's good. And we might not turn drenched fire pits into blazing fires by calling on the name of the Lord. We may. There's no limit. Why? Not because of me. Because of God. He can do anything. But he has a plan for you. Idolatry is idolatry. Whether you think you're doing it for a good reason or not. It'll leave you disappointed, leave you feeling empty. Thanks for bearing with me on that tangent. But let's look a little further. I want to look into some of the things that we, the tendencies that we have to stray away from turning our hope exclusively on God. Tim Keller presented a, uh, uh, an idea of four source forms of idolatry. So basically, you know, a lot of times we think about idolatry, we'll think, you know, uh, gluttony, lust, you know, some list of things that we do that we might struggle with. Well, Keller argues that all of those things come back to four main sources. So there's something at the root of that idolatry. And if Keller's correct, then I would argue, as I go through this list of source idolatry, you should be able to identify a few. Say, ah, yes, I see myself struggling with that. I see myself drawn to that. If I go through this list and you go, nope, well, either Jesus is in our midst or Keller is wrong. I mean, either one of those could be the case. <laughs> but we're going to look at these anyway. So the first one, and I imagine I, I have a hard time conceiving, and this could be my own brain, right? Because any situation I get into, I tend to think that like, oh yeah, well, this has got to be the way it is for everyone. Then I meet somebody that doesn't think like that, and I go, oh, phew, I guess I was way off. So for me thinking about this, I think this is something that's got to be an idol for just about every Western person, and that is comfort. Comfort. When I think about like the, the things, you know, the other day, I don't have it on me. The other day, here's a good example, right? Like I love comfort. It's why I have a decent bed. It's why I try to keep my house in decent order. It's why I've got nice chairs to sit in. It's why I wear shoes that are comfortable, clothes that are comfortable. If you come in to see me during the week, guess what I'll be wearing? Probably some kind of sweatpants to look a little nicer, so don't be too worried about my salvation as a pastor. Nicer sweatpants, right? They're not like old, dirty sweatpants. And a comfortable shirt. 
because I like to be comfortable. There's not, it's not wrong to like to be comfortable. When our hope is set in comfort, that is wrong, in fact. But I might have a problem. And so you can help hold me accountable to my comfort level. I was on the internet. My wallet was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. It was old, it was falling apart, and it's about that big. It's like putting a sandwich in your pocket. And I said, man, it's time. I need to simplify. So I did research and I found a wallet that wasn't going to hurt my bum when I sat in my car. And it's very small and it holds only a couple things. And I said, yep, that's the wallet for me. That looks comfy. And as I'm at the checkout for the wallet, it says, hey, Aaron, people that buy this wallet really like these shoes. And I looked at the shoes and I said, they do look comfy. <laughs> and I bought the shoes. <laughs> I mean, that was, oops. Uh, might have a problem. But don't we all? I mean, how many of us like to just have that instant gratification? We look at our society today. It's a society that runs on, on TikTok. 15 to 30 second videos. Because if you go any longer than that, you're old news. Like... <laughs> We want that instant satisfaction, that instant comfort. We're a very comfort-driven culture. I mean, for goodness sakes, after Thanksgiving, we have Black Friday. <laughs> you know? We're supposed to be thankful, but not till you buy that new thing that's going to be really comfortable. Right? So that's source idol number one. I think there's a bunch of things that can bleed out of that. But comfort. The second one is control. A longing to have everything go according to my plan. If I can just manage my world, then everything is going to go good. <laughs> right? If I can just manage my world, then everything's going to go good. Or when you're re relating with other people, man, if you would just listen to my ideas, it would be good and everyone would be happy. Watch yourself. I think about when you're driving a car and the person's in the seat next to you holding on for dear life, praying in tongues, being like, ah, every minute is like a little bit of terror. You're totally cool because you're in control. I'm what are you screaming about? Calm down. We like control. Control is one for me. So now we're, I'm two, two for two. Aaron's batting two for two. Maybe you are as well. And here's another big one, I think. This is one that I actually would say doesn't bother me at all, but certainly seems like an incredible trap, and that's approval. A longing to be accepted or desired. This, to me, when I think about this, I think about the fact that, you know, everything you do is to, one, it's to bring glory to yourself, right? But it's to bring glory through your, to yourself from somebody else saying yes and amen or you go, or you're so good, or you sound so nice, or you play cigar, guitar so well, or your sermon was great, or, you know, you taught that Bible study with excellence, or, man, that food was so good. 
it's okay to receive that type of feedback. In fact, it's really healthy to encourage each other. It is. But when our hope is placed on the approval of others, you're doomed. You are making yourself a slave to every person, people you might not even like. I think about it as I was walking, we, we were as a leadership team, we're walking through COVID. We had to make a lot of decisions, a lot of hard decisions. And if my hope was placed in the approval of people, I would have lit myself on fire. Because every person, you know, every decision you get to, half the group is saying, woo, and half the group is saying, you're an idiot, you know, that's a terrible decision. What are you doing to us? It's hard. But if I hope was set in approval, then I would have felt awful, awful. And it would have made me a slave to people. And we all know one thing for sure. Are people perfect? No. Gotta set our hope on something perfect, on something good, on something stable. So the final thing is power. It's the final source idol. It's an, a longing for influence, recognition. I think there are some crossover between this and approval, but I would say this one has a stronger desire to win, right? Got to win. Winning feels good. It does. You know, if you've ever played sports or shoot board games, anything, to win feels pretty good. I don't think there's anything wrong with winning. But when we place our hope on climbing the corporate ladder or being a leader among Men, for leadership's sake, we're going to leave ourselves disappointed. That's not secure. It's not stable. And it's counting a whole lot on what you believe your ability is or where you should be or your position should be. We can't put our hope in power. As I look through these things, I see a number of, of ways that I can be drawn, tempted, to place hope in, you know, for me, I think especially in control, comfort, certainly some in power. And it's important that we know our bent because that way we can be aware what's going on. It's good, and it's not bad to share it. I, right here, I'm confessing to all of you and the people who I don't know or do know. I'm not ashamed that I've got issues but I'm not putting my hope in my issues. I put my hope in God, in Christ alone. This is not a new thing. Psalms 42, there's a whole bunch of good stuff here. You should read Psalm 42. Maybe this week, if you have a chance, you wanna read a Psalm. There's a couple really good ones, uh, all of them. But 42 is what we're gonna look at today briefly. And Twice in 42, it says this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
psalmist here is telling is encouraging himself. Where's my hope need to go? My hope needs to be in God. And for us, as we're coming into this Advent season, as we're moving towards Christmas and the celebration of Jesus' birth, our hope is in Jesus, the great promise fulfilled. Yeah? I don't know what time it is. Wow, I'm crushing it. Um, I still got some stuff left to go, so we're going to keep going. Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. This is, again, we're, we're looking back at this concept I talked about, our faith being like hope being like faith for the future. I think this verse speaks into that. It says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this. Now, faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Faith, or here it says the assurance. I like substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. There is a reality in the future that God has promised and in some measure has revealed to us as precious, worth living for, worth dying for. And I believe faith is the experience of the substance of a future reality known, believed, tasted, and cherished now. Let's say that again. I believe faith is the experience of the substance of future, part of faith, I should say, future reality known, believed, tasted, and cherished now. And I believe that's hope. Some number of months ago, we were listening to, um, I can't think of the name of the app, does little Bible studies for families, and we do that together in the evening lectio. And, uh, and the memory verse was Psalm 34, 8. And I thought about this as I was thinking about this concept of 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 a security, a substance that's tasted, I thought about this verse. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, who finds his security in him. God is good. God is good. And I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane and maybe even on the cross that Jesus was sustained by tasting already the substance of that thing he hoped for. And I think in a similar way, we too can connect with this substance of hope to carry us through our Gethsemanes. How do we build our hope in God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush through this bit a little bit because I think I'm probably running long. In a snapshot, to me, something that has been running through my head again and again and again, and I think two weeks ago I mentioned it in men's prayer, uh, but it's something that has, I've been thinking quite a bit about is, uh, oh, and I mentioned it to John a few weeks ago as well, taking ourselves 
less seriously while taking God incredibly seriously. So building up our hope is taking ourselves less seriously while taking God incredibly seriously. I think we have a tendency to take our thoughts, our opinions, our perspectives very, very seriously. And I think that oftentimes it puts ourselves as an idol over God. Our perspectives on, on theology, our perspectives on the nature of God, our perspectives on you name it. If we take ourselves less seriously and we take God incredibly seriously, then it means that when we move into the situations of life, we can take our own opinions lightly. And in taking my own opinion lightly, it gives me patience to listen both to people and to God. It gives me patience to wait on the Lord's timing. David was anointed to be king, and then 10 years later, he was king. There was a timing. God has timing. It gives me patience to wait on the Lord's timing. And then if I feel led to take action to do something, I can release my outcomes to God's glorious, sovereign will. Hear what I'm saying? If we take ourselves lightly, we have patience to listen. We can wait for the Lord's timing because we're not in a rush. This isn't a TikTok video. I don't need to have the answer today. And in many of life's situations, you won't. And in many life situations, you may not for your whole life. But if I take myself less seriously and I take God incredibly seriously, it gives me patience. It gives me a patience to wait, a patience to listen. And when I finally do go and take action one way or another, if God is leading me to do so, it gives me the freedom to let go of the outcomes of my actions into God's glorious grace and goodness. Amen? Amen. Look at Romans 8, 28 again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Final note. Things, as Christians, we believe that give us hope. So these are things as Christians that we can agree on that are absolute and we can ground our hope in. Do you agree with me that God is the creator of all things? I think we got it universal. If we were doing a show of hands, I think we got all of it. God created everything. Amen? That means he made you. Yeah? We believe he knew us. He formed us. Before we were even in the womb, he knew. Yeah? We believe that. Do we believe that? We do believe that. Good. If we trust him as the maker of good things, if we trust him and his wisdom, his sovereignty, his goodness, how can we 
throw ourselves away as defective or worthless. He doesn't make mistakes, right? We believe that. He knows every inch of you on the inside, in the out. And to make a judgment on ourselves or others that we can't be redeemed, we can't be loved, we can't be useful, is to reject the goodness of God's creation. We can do crappy things, sure can. I'm very capable of that, and I'm sure I've done some this week. But I don't look at the things that I do, the mistakes that I've made, and go, I'm defective, I'm worthless, I can't be redeemed, I can't be loved, I can't be useful. That's to reject God's plan to do good through me. It may not look like the good and useful things. I might not be lighting drenched fires and making bonfires in the side yard here out of a watered down tree, right? That might not happen, might. I'm not willing to say it's not gonna happen. If God wants to light that tree on fire when I tell him to, great. When I ask him to, if he goes, boom, fire. Okay, I mean, that's pretty cool. But I'm not setting my eyes on that and I'm not rejecting the fact, uh, rejecting the masterpiece God has made me and the plans that he has, that even in my mistakes, his will is being done. His good is coming about. Why? Because he said so. He loves us despite our flaws. This is another thing we all believe. Do we believe that we are justified by faith in Christ? Do we believe that? Yes, we do. We trust God and he justifies us freely. That is the precious nature of justification. Do we believe? We even, we sang about it and talked about it today. We prayed for for, for Scott, for strength. Do we believe God strengthens us? That he is our strength? We believe that. When we recognize and accept ourselves as beautiful creations of God in his image, finding security in his deep, unconditional love displayed by his precious justification, this gives us incredible strength to go out not craving hope from those around us, but hope is secured in God's promises to us. And in this hope, we can serve with complete freedom. Amen? I'm gonna invite the worship team up. Jesus is coming is a promise fulfilled, a great promise fulfilled, and we're celebrating that in this upcoming season. And our hope, when placed rightly, is placed fully in him. Not in comfort, not in power, not in approval, not in control. And if those things are getting in the way, don't use that as a reason to dismiss yourself Reject yourself, beat yourself, flog yourself spiritually, emotionally, or physically. Instead, realize that you've erred, 
and find a route to placing that hope in God. And we have each other. And it doesn't mean that there won't be seasons where that's incredibly difficult. I can't imagine walking through the season that Scott's walking through right now. I can't. And for me to say, Scott, just hope, put your hope in Jesus. Honestly, I think that's a little offensive, <laughs> you know? I one, I think my brother knows that. But two, I think I can support him and see and work with him and walk with him to help him put his hope in Jesus. And if I'm going through that valley, I hope you will have that kind of grace with me.